0: Hey friends, this is Rick Renner and today it is my greatest privilege to speak to you from Hebrews chapter 10 and chapter 11. And when we come to Hebrews chapter 10, we find that the early church was discouraged. They were suffering persecution and it seemed that God was never going to answer their prayers. And many of them were waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for miraculous breakthroughs in their life. And those breakthroughs had not come through yet. And they were beginning to wonder, well, maybe there's something wrong with our faith. Maybe we're believing wrong. Maybe we should just cast aside our faith and move on with our life. And the writer of Hebrews wrote to them and said to them, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, Cast not away, therefore your confidence. And those words, cast not away, means to discard something that perhaps you don't need any longer. And that's what these believers were beginning to think. They were tempted to think, God, we've waited so long. Surely, if this thing we believe for was going to come to pass, it would have happened by now. And in fact, the only other place this word, cast not away, is used in the New Testament is in the story of blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10. And the story of blind Bartimaeus is that he was sitting by the side of the road when Jesus came by. And he wanted to get up and go to Jesus. He wanted to move on. But he couldn't because he was bound with a towel or a garment. That garment was in his way. And the Bible says he grabbed it and cast it away. He said, get this off of me. It's stopping me. It's hindering me. He threw it away. He discarded it. Now, these believers in the very same way, are tempted to think, you know what, if we had never had a word from God, if we had never said no, we're gonna believe his promise, maybe we could have just moved on with our life. But instead, we've been sitting here, waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. We're so tired of waiting, maybe it's never going to happen. Maybe this is just a fantasy. We're just gonna get rid of this promise we've been waiting for and throw it away, just like blind Bartimaeus, who threw away that garment. And now the writer of Hebrews says, do not do that. Don't throw away your confession or your confidence. And the word confidence is a Greek word parousia. It describes a very bold, frank kind of speech. And by the way, faith always speaks. And the very use of this word confidence tells us they've been declaring their faith. They've been speaking their faith, but now they're tempted to stop it and just throw their confession away. And the writer of Hebrews says, don't do it. Don't you dare do it. Don't throw away. Don't discard your bold kind of faith, which has great recompense of reward. And isn't it interesting, this phrase recompense of reward, in Greek, it's a compound word. The first word is mista. The word mista, is the word for salary, it's the word for reward, the second part of the word is podas, which is the word for feet. When you put the two words together, it describes a reward that is on its feet and is already moving in your direction. It is some kind of an award, it is some kind of payment. It's money moving in your direction. Something you've been waiting for, something wonderful, it's already on its feet and it's moving toward you. And now the writer of Hebrews says, what a shame it would be if you would throw away your faith when the reward, the answer, the money, whatever it is that you've been waiting for, it's already on its feet and it's moving in your direction. So don't throw away your faith and abort the whole thing. And the truth is, most people who give up usually give up right when they are about to receive. So now, verse 35 says, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Don't throw away your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. Then verse 36, for you have need of patience. (laughs) Well, probably the people reading this epistle did not appreciate that statement because they'd been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And And now the writer of Hebrews says, let me tell you what your need is. You have need of patience. Well, most people don't want patience, but this particular word for patience is the Greek word hupomene. It's very important. It's a compound of two words. The word hupo means to be under something, like to be under something very heavy the second part of the word is the word meno. The word meno means I stay, I abide, I'm not moving, this is my spot. But when you compound the two words together, hupo and meno, it forms the Greek word hupomene, which here is translated as the word patience. And here's what it pictures a person under a heavy load, but he says, I don't care how heavy the load is, I'm not moving this is my spot. This is what God promised me. I'm not moving. I'm not budging. I'm not flinching. I'm not going to surrender my territory. And in fact, this word patience, the Greek word was the very word used to describe soldiers who were commanded to maintain the territory they had gained and not to give up an inch. And now the writer of Hebrews says, rather than throw away your faith, it's time for you to dig in your heels and say, hey, this is my spot. God made me a promise, and I'm not moving from it. I don't care how long it takes. I don't care how difficult it is, how heavy it gets. I have made my decision. I'm not moving. Faith stands still. Faith stands still. Let me tell you something. When the devil finds out he can move you, he'll move you for the rest of your life. He'll push you this way. He'll say, huh, I just got them to move. Then he'll push you again, and he'll push you again, and he'll push you again, and he'll push you again. But when the devil runs into somebody who stands still like a mountain, they just don't move, the devil knows he better just move on and bother somebody else because this is a person that he cannot break. And it's very interesting that this word hupomene was called by the early church the queen of all virtues. They understood that if they had this hupomene, which we better translated endurance, if they had this, then it was not a question of if they would win. It was only a question of when they would win. This is a faith that never gives up. It's a faith that stands still, And that's why he says, for you have need of patience or endurance, that after you've done the will of God, what is the will of God? Staying where God told you to be, doing what God told you to do, that after you've done the will of God, you will receive the promise. That is what God says to us. Then he says in verse 37, for yet a little while, and that thing will come, will come, and it will not tarry. You know what's interesting? The word little while is the Greek word micros. It describes something that is microscopic. It's where you get the word for a microscope, something very, 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 very small. It's the equivalent of saying, hey guys, what you've been believing for, it's already here. In just a microscopic amount of time, it's going to come and it will not tarry. The word tarry means it's not going to be late, it's going to show up on time. And then he adds in verse 38, now the just shall live by faith. Huh. The words faith describes something that is moving forward, moving forward, taking new territory, which means if you are moving backward or if you are in regression, if you're giving up, then you're not in faith. Faith either is maintaining territory or it's moving forward. But anytime you're moving backwards, you're already out of faith. And that's why this verse says, now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Verse 39, but we are not of them that draw back. We do not retreat. We don't give up territory that we've gained. We are not of them that draw back unto perdition. And the word perdition is a form of the Greek word apolumi, which describes something that is rotten. The best example of this word perdition The Greek word apolumi would be something like meat that's been laid out on the sidewalk and after a number of days it's stinking, it's filled with maggots, it's filled with flies, it's stinking, it's a stinking situation. And here you find that when people draw back from their faith, and this really is the truth, when once they had a bold confession of faith, they were declaring their faith, they were saying what God promised them, they're moving in faith and it energizes them. But when they back up, They usually become cynical. They become negative. It becomes a stinking, stinking situation. Just look at the believers you know that have backed up. They become cynical. They become bitter. They become faithless. It's perdition. It's a rotting, stinking situation. And the writer of Hebrews says, We're not a party with them that draw back into a stinking spiritual mess, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. We're in the business of believing. We're going to maintain territory gained and we're going to keep moving forward. And then chapter 11, verse one says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. Well, I'll be honest, that verse was very hard for me to understand for years. It just seemed like such an abstract, complex verse. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. What does that mean? The evidence of things not seen, what does that mean? Well, I went to the Greek text, and because I read the Greek language, I decided to see what the Greek said, and I was quite surprised. For example, the word substance is the Greek word hupostasis. And what you have in the King James Version, the word substance, it's not a good translation at all. The word is hupostasis. The word hupo here means alongside of something, alongside of something, The word stasis means to stand. When you compound the two words together, it means to stand by something. And it pictures the determined attitude of a person who says, This is my spot. I'm going to stand by it. I refuse to relent. I refuse to surrender. A better translation would be faith is standing by things hoped for. I say that it's like a bulldog that has found the bone of its dreams. It wraps its jaws around that bone. And it doesn't matter how hard you tug or how hard you pull to take that bone away from that dog. That dog says, no, it's my bone. I'm going to stand by this bone. I'm never going to surrender this bone. It belongs to me. It really describes the attitude of faith. Faith never lets go. It never backs up. It never lets go. It stands by things hoped for. That's what this means. So faith never gives up. So you could actually translate the verse like this. Now faith is standing by things hoped for, which means if God has made a promise to you, your job is to stand by that promise, regardless of how long it takes. Faith is standing by whatever has been promised. Then when you come to verse 2, It says, for by it, by what? By this unbendable, unbreakable, never give up kind of faith. For by this kind of faith, the elders obtained a good report. And the elders refers to people in the Old Testament. And all of Hebrews chapter 11 is about the elders in the Old Testament. The whole chapter is about them. So according to verse 2, everything we're going to read about is about what the elders in the Old Testament did. By it, by this unbendable, unbreakable, never give up kind of faith, the elders of the Old Testament obtained a good report. So according to verse 2, everything in this chapter is going to be about the example of Old Testament leaders who had a word from God and stood by it. But then when you come to verse 3, it seems a little confusing because verse 3 says, through faith. We understand the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So verse 3 sounds like it's talking about the creation of the universe and the creation of the world. But that doesn't make sense because verse 2 just said the entire chapter is going to be about what people of faith did. Why then would God suddenly abruptly change subjects and now go all the way back to the creation? Well, He didn't. You have to understand verse 3 differently. For example, it says, through faith. What kind of faith? The attitude of faith is described in verse 1. Unbendable, unbreakable faith that stands by what has been promised. A faith that never budges, never flinches, never lets go. Through this unbendable, unbreakable kind of faith, we understand. The Greek really means it is apparent, it is clearly observable that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Now, this is where people get confused because they think this is talking about the act of creation, but it's not. The word worlds is not the word which would describe creation. Instead, it is the Greek word ionos, and the word ionos does not describe the creation of the universe or the creation of the world. It's really the word for an age, an age with a definite beginning, And a definite ending. So you could translate the verse like this. Through this unbendable, unbreakable, never give up kind of faith. We understand that different time periods in the history of mankind. Different time periods in the history of mankind were framed by the word of God. The word framed here really means to be adjusted. Not to create something brand new. But to take something already existing and to alter it. Or to change it. So now you could translate the verse, and this is really a very good translation, through this unbendable, unbreakable, never give up kind of faith that always stands by what has been promised. We understand that different time periods, generations, centuries, decades, within the past history of mankind, those different time periods have been altered and changed, then the verse says, by the word of God or you could translate it by those who received a word from God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And here we have an amazing truth that if you look at past history, you will find that in every generation, in every millennia, in every age, God has had people And when those people entered their time period, the world was in one particular case. Maybe it was a bad situation, but those individuals of faith received a word from God. God promised something and they received the promise of God. And they said, we're going to wrap our arms around this promise. We're never going to let this promise go. We're going to stand by this promise until we see its manifestation. And through their unbendable, unbreakable faith that refused to let go, the time period in which they lived was changed. It was altered simply because they received a word from God and stood by it so that by the time they were finished living, the world that existed was completely different than the one they were born into. That's what Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3 means. Through faith, through this unbendable, unbreakable, never give up faith, we understand that different time periods in the past have been radically altered and changed because of those who received a word from God. Now, if you understand that that's what Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3 means, then it fits perfectly in the whole chapter because the entire chapter is about what? It's about people who received a word from God and refused to move. For example, you get down to Enoch. Enoch received a word from God. He refused to let go of it. And because he stood by a word from God, he altered the time period in which he lived. We go on to the example of Noah. Noah, a man who received a word from God. He had to stand by that word for decades and decades and decades and decades. He had plenty of opportunities to say, I guess it's never going to happen. He could have thrown away his faith just like these believers were tempted to do. But Noah said, I'm not moving. I'm not budging. I'm not surrendering. I know God spoke to me and I'm going to stand by the word that God gave to me. I don't care how long it takes. And by standing by a word from God, Noah changed human history. What if Noah had given up? We wouldn't be here today. But this one man, one man, this is the power of one person who gets one word from God. This one man with one word from God just said, I'm not moving. And Noah changed human history. As you go on through Hebrews chapter 11, we find the example of Abraham. He received a word from God that God called him, that he was going to be the father of many nations. He had that word from God. And though it took years and years and years and years for that promise to come to pass, Abraham stood by that word. Abraham made a lot of mistakes. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect. Abraham made a lot of mistakes. But one thing he did right is he never gave up on the promise God gave him. He stood by his word from God and Abraham changed the course of human history. And as you read Hebrews chapter 11, the whole chapter is about just normal people. These were not spectacular people. These were not special people. (laughs) We know, for example, in the case of Noah, Noah had some personal issues after the flood, but he did one thing right. He stood by a word from God. Abraham had some personal issues. He did not do everything right, but he did one thing right. He stood by his word from God. He refused to let go faith stands still. It refuses to relent. It refuses to give up. I don't know what God has promised you, but you are to stand by that word until you see its fulfillment. And when the fulfillment comes, it will change your family. It can change your church. It can change your city. It can change your state. It can change your generation. That's what the whole chapter is about. And then, when you come to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, a very famous verse, which is very poorly interpreted usually, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Well, when you read this, it says, Without faith, it sounds like the absence of faith. The absence of faith, without faith. But did you know the Greek says something different? The Greek is the word chorus. The word chorus means to be outside of something. A better translation would be to be outside of faith. And it means faith is a place. Faith has an address. You can live in faith or you can move out of faith. It's like if you live in the city. You can't live in the city and simultaneously live outside the city. You have to decide where you're going to live. You're either going to be in the city or you're going to move outside the city. In the same way, Hebrews 11:6 means faith has an address. Faith has an assignment. It tells you what is your promise and you're to live in that promise. Faith is an assignment. It tells you what you're supposed to do and you're supposed to stay in that place and you are to do it. If you move out of the promise, if you give up on the assignment, then you move out of a place of faith. Faith really is a place. And the devil is terrified of people who know their place and who say, I'm not moving from it because he knows those are the people that are going to do something. Those are the people that are going to have a breakthrough. Those are the people that are going to change a family, change a city, change a church, change a nation. Those are the people who are saying, I'm not releasing what God gave me until I see its manifestation. And the devil wants to wear you down, wear you out until finally you say, oh, I'm so tired of this. I'm just going to give up and move off of my promise. And you move out of faith. I'll use me as an example. I live in Russia. I know that God called me here. I've had enough events happen in my life to move me out many, many times. But if I move out of my assignment, I have stepped out of God's will for my life. My assignment is my place of faith. It's my address of faith. And if I want to please God then I have to stay where God called me. Faith always stands in one spot. It doesn't move out of its assignment. That's really what Hebrews 11 verse 6 means. And again the whole chapter of Hebrews chapter 11 is about men and women who received a word from God and refused to move. They refused to move. They had opportunity to move. They said I'm tired. I'm moving out of here. I'm not going to do this anymore. But instead they said, no, God spoke and we're going to stay right here and not move from our assignment. Wow. And Hebrews 6 goes on to say, without faith, or you could translate it, if you live outside of the place of faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God, that's you, must believe that he is and that his rewarder Of them that diligently seek him. Well, the word diligent is important because it means this is not always easy. The word diligent means it's going to take your commitment, it's going to take energy, it's going to take focus. And, friends, I want to tell you, and you already know it's true, that when God has called you to do something, you've got to be committed, you've got to be diligent, you've got to be focused. You can't allow yourself to have emotions that are going to be negative in your life. You can't allow yourself to speak faithless words that are going to move you out of your assignment. You've got to diligently seek Him. That's just what the Bible says. And then, when you go to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, Wherefore, seeing we're also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 is a continuation of chapter 11. And when you come to the first of Hebrews 12, verse 1, it says, Wherefore, in light of all of this, in light of what? In light of the fact that faith stands still. Faith stands by the promise that has been given. In light of the fact that faith never backs up, but always maintains territory or keeps moving forward. In light of the fact that Hebrews chapter 11 is filled, filled, filled with examples of people who got a word from God and refused to move. And as a result, they changed their time period and their generation. Wherefore, in light of all of these things, seeing... We also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Can I tell you something interesting about that word cloud? People read the word cloud and they think about clouds that are like floating in the sky. But it was a technical term which was used to describe the very highest seats in a stadium. If you came to the stadium to watch an athletic game, there were seats which were down lower. But if you were late the only tickets that were left were the ones in the top of the stadium. And the stadium was so tall that when you would come in and you would buy a ticket, the person selling tickets would say, the only seats we have left are in the clouds. Why is that important? Because Hebrews chapter 12, verse one says, if you look at history, you will see from the bottom of the seats all the way to the top, the stadium is filled with people, common people who in their day and in their time, even though they were simple, what made them special was they received a word from God and they said, God, I'm not going to move. God promised them the salvation of their spouse. They didn't move. God promised them healing. They didn't move. God promised them financial blessing. They didn't move. God promised them their city. God promised them their nation. God made promises to them. And they said, I'm not letting go. I'm going to be like a dog with that bone around, my mouth around that bone. I'm not going to let go. I don't care how hard life or the enemy tries to pull it away from me. I'm never going to let go. And because they refused to give up, they received. And they made a mark on their generation. Now... Hebrews 12 verse 1 says the stadium of faith is filled with people like this. But wait, 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 wait. If we're looking up at the stadium and we see that it's filled with people, it means that we now are in the middle of the stadium. We're not sitting in the seats yet because our competition is not over. This verse says now it's our time to play the game. Now it's our time to run the race. And if you'll just put your emotions on pause for a moment and look up at history, look at the Bible, you will see that preceding us in former generations have been people who ran their race of faith. They were in their fight of faith, and they did it, and they did it well. And from where you are now playing your own game of faith when it seems so hard, take a pause and look up. Because you're surrounded by people who did the same thing in their time, and they did it well. We are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses. And the word witnesses is even important. It's exactly where we get the word for a martyr. It means you may have to die to a few things, to finish your race of faith. You may have to die to your dreams, die to your laziness, die to your desire to give up. You're gonna have to die to a few things in your flesh to finish this competition. But my friends, those people around us, they already ran their race. Now we're on the playing field, and it's our time to run. But wait, it says we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight The word weight describes anything that is cumbersome that will hold you down, which means if there's anything that's trying to slow you down or telling you to give up, you need to cut it off of your life. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Easily beset us, the Greek word euperistatos. It's a triple compound. The word you describes something that is comfortable. The word peri, describes something that is around you. The word status describes what is standing. When you compound the three words together, my Bible says, easily beset us. It really means the environment that is standing around you. Sometimes when you're running your race of faith, you've got to change the people you're talking to. You've got to change the environment that is around you because it is a negative environment. If you have people telling you to get out, to give up, then you need to choose some new friends. If you're standing in an environment that makes it easy for you to quit, then you need to get in a different environment. You need to cut every weight, and if need be, you need to change your environment. You need to surround yourself with people who think like you, people who believe like you. You have to put yourself in the right environment to stay in faith. And he says, the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, let us run. The word treko, it pictures a runner who's running with all of his might. He's taken all his loose, dangling ends of his garment. He's tucked them up under his belt. You know why? Because if you have a lot of dangling ends, it gets caught in your legs. And in the same way, when you're running a race of faith, you've got to get rid of all the dangling, loose things in your life because those things will tangle you up and they'll stop you from running. And this verse says you've got to run with patience. And guess what? The word patience, again, is the Greek word hoopomene. hoopo, To be under something heavy Meno, I'm staying, I'm not moving. You've got to be doggedly determined. You're not ever going to surrender. You're never going to give up. Let us run with patience the race. Now, this is really strange in Greek because the word race is actually the Greek word agon, which pictures... A wrestling match. Paul here is using metaphor on top of metaphor. First of all, he says we're to run. We're to gather up all the loose ends which could tangle us up and would hinder us from running. We're to be determined to run this race with patience. We're not going to bend. We're not going to break. Then he calls it a race, which is the word agon, which pictures two wrestlers that are slugging it out. And here we find that we really are in a wrestling match. Your flesh will try to take you down. But you've got to be determined that you're going to master your flesh and not let your flesh tell you what to do, what to think, or when to give up. Somebody once asked me, Rick, what is the biggest challenge you've ever faced in your life? And my answer surprised them. I said, me. If I can master me, I can do anything. The devil's not really a challenge. He was defeated at the cross. The biggest challenge is me. The biggest challenge is you. And rather than listen to ourselves and listen to our flesh, we have to speak to ourselves. And rather than let the flesh throw us to the ground like an adversary in a wrestling match, we've got to take hold of that flesh. We've got to conquer it. And the Bible says the race that is set before us. Wow, this is so encouraging. It means we don't have to figure everything out. Jesus has already set a race in front of us. You don't have to determine where to go or how you're going to get there. You just got to get in the race and get your legs moving. That's what God commands you to do. Just get moving. You're never going to figure it all out from the beginning. I promise you that. You can only see so far right now. But I'll tell you this, you're not going to see any further until you start moving. And as you move, more and more and more will be revealed to you. But you've got to get in the race. It has been set before you. God has the whole thing figured out. He just needs you to jump in the race and start moving. He'll keep you moving in the right direction. And then it says in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. You know why it says this, because Jesus is the example, the premier example, who authored faith and finished faith. Many people begin with a real bang, but they end with a fizzle. They make a big declaration, and they don't make it all the way to the end. But Jesus began with a faith confession. And Jesus ran all the way to the end. And he is our example. We're to do what Jesus did, even though it was difficult. In fact, if you look at verse 2, it tells us it was very difficult for Jesus. But he kept his eye on the joy that was set before him. For Jesus, the promise was defeating death, defeating the enemy, being seated at the right hand of the Father, pouring out the gift of the Holy Ghost upon the church. That was the joy set before Jesus. What is the joy set before you? The fulfillment of the promise that God made you, the salvation of your family, the salvation of your spouse, salvation of your city, the salvation of your country, financial blessing, some other kind of promise. Whatever God has promised you, you've got to keep it in front of you. Jesus kept the promise in front of him. And when you see the promise, it keeps you moving. And this verse says, Who? For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. There's the word endured again, hupomene. Hupo, he was under a heavy load. Minnow, he refused to budge. Do you think Jesus enjoyed the cross? Of course not. Of course not. It was just part of the assignment. That's why the rest of the verse says despising the shame they were despising the Greek word katanoeo, to look down on to disdain, to hate. He hated that. In fact, he called it shame. When he hung naked before a watching world, he hated that. He despised that. But he didn't say, "I'm not going to do it. That's just too tough." He kept his eye on the joy. He kept his eye on the promise and said to fulfill that and receive the promise, I'll do whatever I have to do. I will not surrender. I won't bend. I won't break. And as a result, he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He received. And the Bible here says Jesus is our primary example. Now go back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. 35 again. It's where we began. Casting not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. These believers, and maybe you, got tired. And they said, It's just too hard. I, I can't wait any longer. I don't know if it's ever really going to happen. Maybe it's just a fantasy. I'm just going to lay it aside throw it away, at least if I throw it away, maybe I can move on with my life and do something different. And the writer of Hebrews said, don't you do it. Cast not away your confidence, your bold speaking of faith, which has great recompense of reward. Again, the Greek word, mistopadocia. It pictures a reward that is on its feet, already moving in your direction. And I want to tell you, the thing you're believing for, it's already coming your way. Faith works like a magnet. Just like a magnet attracts metal. When you stay in faith, your faith begins to pull the answer toward you. It's already moving in your direction. And what a tragedy it would be if you now said, I'm cutting it off. I'm turning it off when the promise is almost there. It's almost there. And that's what the following verse says, for you have need of patience for just a little while. The word little, the Greek word mikros, just a microscopic amount of time. And what you've been believing for is going to take place. It's not going to be late. It's not going to be tardy. It's going to be right on time. And then he says in verse 39, but we are not of them that draw back. My friends, this is not a time for you to move into retreat. That will produce perdition, a stinking mess in your life. But you need to say, you know what? I'm going to be a part of, look at verse 39, them that believe to the saving of the soul. I'm going to stay in faith. And according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith, the attitude of faith, it stands by what God has promised, refuses to give up, refuses to ever let go. According to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, if you move outside of your place of faith, you can never please God. So if you want to please God, then you've got to stay in the promise. You've got to stay in your assignment because your assignment, your promise, that is your place of faith. That is your place. And to stay there You've got to be diligent. You've got to be focused. You've got to be concentrated. You've got to cut all fleshly thoughts out and say, nope, this is my assignment. I'm going to live my whole life for this. If I don't do anything else right, I'm going to do this right. And that's the testimony of Hebrews chapter 11. It's filled with men and women who in their day and their age received a word from God and they changed their generation. And that can be you. That can be you. And I pray right now for the energizing power of the Holy Spirit to quicken you and to give you everything you need to stay in your place of faith. And I declare to you that the promise of God and the manifestation is already on its feet and it's moving in your direction. In Jesus' name, amen.